delighted today to be here with Marcia Mitchell. And we're going to find out about her together <laughs> because what I know about her comes from our reporter, Elizabeth Floyd Mayer, who was covering an event at the University of Albany earlier this winter where high school students who are would-be entrepreneurs were presenting projects and they have mentors to help them. And one of those mentors is Marcia. So could you just start by telling us a little about that program and how you got involved in it? Sure. That's a great question. Um, thank you so much for having me, first of all. And yeah, I was, I'm actually organizing an event myself, and I came across Robert Manasir's name um, via another connection. He is uh, running Innovate 518, but he's also running the uh, Startup High School New York program. And so he said what are you doing on, you know, that next Saturday or what have you? And I said, you know, nothing, I'm just going to be studying. And so he's, he asked me if I would like to mentor high school students through building business plans. And I, of course, acquiesced because I would love to do that. So that's how I got involved. So what Marcia was studying is she is a student at Rensselaer Polytech Institute in a master's program and formerly majored in economics at Tufts. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. So tell us just a little about your course in, in, in life, getting from economics to, and I have it written down here because it's a long phrase and I'm hoping you'll unpack it for us. Her <laughs> master's degree is in technology, commercialization, and entrepreneurship. That's it. So tell us a little about how you got from economics at Tufts to RPI doing this, what seems like a very kind of new field. Yeah, okay, that, let's figure this out together. So, yeah, I majored in econ at Tufts, and my first job out of the gate was at Morgan Stanley. I was working on the fixed income derivatives desk and just sort of helping traders analyze you know, what trades to make. And that was really interesting and very cool, but the environment was it's very male-dominated and it's very um, cutthroat. <laughs> and there's lots of money being traded back and forth. And it just it had been in my childhood dream to work on the trading floor at Wall, on Wall Street. But when I had realized it, it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. So I sort of bounced around between different desks at different banks, Cantor Fitzgerald, different ones. And then I ended up becoming a fashion model. So I did that for about oh my <laughs> seven years <laughs> and lots of ups and downs and lots of amazing experiences and, you know, trials and tribulations and, and travel and everything you could possibly think of. But again, it's like a dream realized. And then you sort of find out that you'd like to evolve further and find out something else that you can do with yourself. So I ended up working for this Jamaican, it's going to be a long story, but we'll, we have time. It's, um, I worked for a Jamaican Asian fusion restaurant on the Lower East Side, and I helped them with their social media presence. And so I was helping them get, you know, Yelp reviews and open table and just getting them digitized so that people would come into the restaurant. And through that process of figuring out what's great about this restaurant, how do I share it? What are the sort of contests and things that we can, you know, market about the restaurant to get people to come because it's a tiny little hole in the wall. So social media marketing became, you know, a feature for me. Then I decided to move back to the Berkshires. So I moved back to Western Massachusetts and I was living there for a while and I found a job at this a software product company. And I joined a team of nine people, three developers, three product managers, and three support people. And we just basically built this social media monitoring and posting platform to service the auto industry. So that was my you know, first official role on a, on a software product development team. And that really got me excited because I understood 
how the social media market worked. I was, you know, I understood coding. I've been coding since I was about eight. And I just figured, you know, this is something I can do. I may, I might want to be a product manager one day. So that sort of like sowed a seed in my head. And as I do, as you can tell in my life path, <laughs> I changed again, you know, and, and decided to join a startup that my friends created in Brooklyn. So I joined an innovation consulting firm. We like sort of created that together. And basically we're going into big companies and helping them. My role was basically like technology analyst. So I would figure out, we would figure out what their problems were. So let's say like a clothing company didn't know, you know, how do we come up with better designs? And so I'd find product solutions to help them aggregate ideas and evaluate those ideas and then get those ideas into market. So there's all kinds of different platforms. You can think about Pinterest or there's all kinds of different ones that are sort of smaller. And so I went through a vetting process and just exercised my technology analysis skills. So what do we like about the interface? You know, what's so great about Airbnb is that the interface is very simple and that it's very intuitive and that it, it flows. And that's the kind of technology that you want you know, that people want to use, it, it makes their lives easier. So I kind of got a feel for that, both for enterprise and for consumer. And then um, I started my own company as well. I started like a, a digital marketing company just on the side to like, you know, eat and pay rent and <laughs> pay for my car payments and things like that. Because when you're working for a startup, there's a lot of ups and downs yes. again. So I've got this startup, I've got my own startup, and I'm just feeling like these are all great and very interesting, but how do I like elevate this? How do I get this to the next level? And so, you know, it occurred to me that I probably should beef up my coding skills. I should probably look around in the area and see what programs are really strong in that. I just started Googling like programming classes and the technology commercialization and entrepreneurship program was one of the first websites that came up. And so when I looked at the checklist of things that I could be learning, it was like, you know, commercializing advanced technology and introduction to artificial intelligence and all of these things that I really wanted to do but didn't have the time or, like, inclination necessarily with my startups to get to. And so I just applied. So it was, like, made for you. <laughs> yeah, it kind of just came up, like, the universe was like, here you go, here's a project for you to do. Well, we definitely need to go forward into your future, <laughs> but first I want to go back because you said it was your childhood dream to be on the floor of the stock exchange? Yeah. Tell me about your childhood. Where did you grow up and who were your parents and how did you get this kind of a dream? Yeah, okay. My parents moved here from Jamaica in their teens. And with like a, you know, a big family of um, Jamaican immigrants, basically in Springfield, Massachusetts, my father is an electrical engineer and my mom is a psychotherapist, which she came to later. But, you know, my dad always encouraged me to work in science and technology and engineering and math. So I was taking coding classes at eight in the summertime and I was with him every day with all his gear in the basement, you know, taking apart computers and stuff in his like makeshift clean room. So I've always had... It's just been part of my life. Like when, when my dad was in college at UMass, that's like the year that I was born. So I was born onto like an engineering school campus. <laughs> like they, they laugh at me now because I'm at RPI, but it's just like I'm so comfortable there. So it's, it's kind of like me finding that back. But the Wall Street thing, I think it was just it's the, the energy and the challenge <laughs> and the analytical skills that it requires of you and the, and the sort of – like, how do I say this without sounding like a crazy person? Like the, the sort of psychic abilities that you sort of marry with your analytical abilities to figure out what choices to make very quickly. I really get energized by that kind of environment. So do you have siblings and are they similarly stellar? Yeah, my sisters are amazing. I've got an older sister who was born in Jamaica. She's a makeup artist. She's very artistic and she's a dancer and 
she's amazing. And then my, my younger sister is a math teacher in Nashville, Tennessee. And, you know, she's right now probably correcting papers with quadratic equations all over them, which I'm just like, <laughs> get away from me. <laughs> but she loves it. And she's a wonderful math teacher. And so that's, I think, again, a product of our like childhood growing up with practicing those kinds of things. So regularly. three daughters and mm-hmm. they've all found ways because I noticed and we're going to go forward now that we've been backwards. I noticed one of the things that really interested me is you are planning to do a workshop this spring. Is that right? Right. To try to encourage women and specifically women of color to succeed in an entrepreneurial world. Right. So here your own family seems to be a model for how that happened. I mean, what is it that incubates that in someone? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I had come here with a couple of product ideas. I came to, I should say, I came to RPI with a couple of product ideas and some passions and some things. And of course, you realize it's a nine-month program. You can't do everything, <laughs> even though it sounds like I love doing everything. I had to figure out, like, what do I, what can I really do while I'm here? And one of those ideas was, you know, starting an accelerator for entrepreneurial women of color. So like an accelerator is basically um, you know, a finite period of time, you apply to get into this program. It might be like six weeks, might be like three months, and you're taken through like a, a entrepreneurial boot camp or like a startup boot camp. So they uh, help you with your business plan, they help you with maybe your prototype, and they introduce you to investors. And so all and all of this takes money, obviously, but um, it could either be an accelerator or now that I'm sort of looking at it, it could be uh, a venture capital fund. So aggregating money for the purpose of promoting and investing in companies by women of color. So my professor, um, Thomas Triscari, suggested to me that I, you know, break this down a little bit in a bite-sized format rather than trying to eat all of Thanksgiving dinner at once and do a proof of concept. So do this workshop. Have one day where you invite entrepreneurial women of color, you know, and you how do you locate them? How do you locate them? Yeah. I'm in the process. Yeah, <laughs> I know they're there and I talk to them on a regular basis. But I was going to say, I bet you're few and far between. Is that true? I, I don't mean, know. Are there barriers there that make it hard? What to- I notice is a couple of things. That the inclination to be um, in, the technolog- in the technological field at this age is there. There's, a, there's a lots of seeds of it and there's lots of activity or, or like passions there. But I think the the ability or like the feeling that you can is not always there. And that's one thing that I really want to work on via this workshop is the, I see you, I know that you're valuable. I want you to know that you're valuable and that your ideas are valuable. So don't, you know, try to get out of like a limited mindset of it's really hard because it's hard for me to get funding. People might look at me as, you know, a woman of color. What do I know? There's all these sort of like what ifs and inner voices that can play, play down the voice. That's the inspiration voice. Because I experienced that myself. It's like, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, would I be at RPI getting a master's? I don't know if I'd say yeah. But like something just clicked for me. I said, I can do that. And like, I've got amazing background. And like, why don't I try? So just giving people, trying to inspire people and activate that voice inside them, that feeling inside them that says, I have this little idea about a project or, you know, I'm an engineering student um, at UAlbany and like, I might want to get a job at GE, but I could also create this product just maybe pulling them or or showing them how maybe they could create this product instead of having to get 
the stock job at GE. And you can get the job at GE. I have a segment in the workshop that's for entrepreneurship. So just like I was... I don't know that word. Oh, entrepreneurship. So it's like entrepreneurship, but you're in a company. I see. So you make this word up? No, no. Oh, my God, no. (laughs) Because entrepreneur, it has the same root word as our newspaper, Enterprise. Oh, right. The old trench undertake. So it's undertaking something. Yes. But I've never heard of the intro, but it's just kind of a cute wordplay because you're in the Yeah, it's not used a lot, but I'm taking a couple of classes and I've noticed it in some literature and it feels like, and having done it myself, there's challenges that come with that. You need a champion who's, you know, maybe a director or a seat in the C-suite. So like a CFO or a CEO to say, here's money for you guys to go and develop products. Here's resources in terms of like people and whatever else, and then uh, sort of an incubator space within the company that helps you to build that. And so GE might end up owning it, but it's something that, you know, you or I could champion from inside the company. So that's another way of exercising your entrepreneurial spirit without having to be out on your own and like, you know, live in your car and eat ramen. Right. So like you still have a salary, but you're like working on a product that's Mm -hmm. new. And that's another, you know, there's no shame in that either. So I'd like to encourage that as well. So right now you're in the process of recruiting these women. Right. And you're finding them through... Some of them are coming to me naturally. Like I've had, a, I talked to a few friends um, who told me about ideas that they have that are so mind-blowing. Like one, I mean, I won't give too much away, but it's like trying to reduce the number of cesarean sections that happen in America because we have the highest number and a lot of them are unnecessary. But because of our like our hospital procedures, they end up, women often get C-sections instead of saying and having a, a longer sort of labor. Culture of, right. Yeah. So like there's, they're creating a device that would sort of check whether or not the C-section is absolutely necessary before performing that. And it could be, you know, it's a med- medical technology that could be, you know, created um, and sent to all these different hospitals around the world and could make so much money or at least be, you know, a viable way of like preventing and some of these C-sections. And super, super yeah. useful and geared towards women, which I think there's a lot of that happening. Now, there's a lot more products that are geared towards women that are sort of no brainers for us because our li- like we've been leading our lives in a certain way. But because so many products were made by men so long ago without us in mind, that it's just we, it's sort of the norm. So I'm seeing all these new like shapewear and like wearables and just ways of moving through life, stuff for babies, things like that. And I feel like at RPI, there's definitely, you know, a few women that I know I could invite and that are interested, actually. And then there's a bunch, even in high school, when I went to the startup high school in New York. I was just going to ask, did you find any there? (laughs) Yeah, I met, you know, there were several teams of young women who were coming up with amazing ideas. And so I, of course, invited them, and I'd love for them to, to come. So is this workshop going to be free? Or yes. Is it, yes. Yeah. And definitely. just in case we have anybody listening who's a woman of color and wants to <laughs> sign up, how would they get? How would they contact you? How would they get in touch with you? They'll have to look for me on Facebook for now. I'm okay. just like literally in the next couple of days. The the website's coming coming up, up online. As with these these events, always there's some sort of a hiccup. So we had to switch locations at the last minute, which means all of the marketing had to be changed. So oh right now it's like you know you know go to Facebook, look for Marcia Mitchell you'll see the RPI part of it pretty quickly and then it'll go. But I can also forward you guys some info. But yeah, it's going to be free because obviously this is a group of people who I don't want any more barriers against them learning and getting access to this kind of development. So we're hoping, you know, well, for Well, so much I, from my limited knowledge of startups, and you certainly know more than I, it has to do with your connections. Mm-hmm. And is there a, a lack of connections for women just because they haven't sort of been in 
those kinds of jobs for as long as men have? Or is that not a problem anymore? I'm from an earlier generation where that was a problem. Yeah. um, I feel like it's, it's more like because the environment and the activities that come out of those, um, I don't know how to explain it, but it's almost like your comfort level is, is highest with people who look like you. And that goes both ways in some ways. And I think the the culture of a lot of these environments can be prohibitive to women of color. So, like, I'll go to, like, a conference. I went to a Google Developers Conference recently, and it was amazing. I learned so much. I don't – I think I saw two other women there. <laughs> there are <laughs> so many – And there's so many wonderful men there. Like, it's great. It's cool. Yeah. There's not anything – it's not like they put on the door, no women, I snuck in the back. It's like everyone's welcome, but, like, it's just somehow – there's like um, I don't know. It's like an energy thing. Someone asked me today if there was someone I wanted to speak for the corporate entrepreneurship section, and they mentioned somebody, and it was a really successful white male. But the my point of having this event be for these women is so that they can see themselves in these roles mm-hmm. and and hashtag representation matters because when you see yourself like that, it's so much easier to imagine yourself. Oh, right yeah. there. Way back in the dark ages yeah. when I was in college, 19, like late 60s, there, Matina Horner, she was the president of Radcliffe, which no longer exists, but yeah. she did research where um, she would show like a woman in a white coat and students would have to write down what that woman was doing. And most of the women couldn't see that woman as a doctor. They saw yeah. her as like a tech. Right. And if you can't imagine your, her study was basically, if you can't imagine yourself in that role, you can't be that role. Right. So it just became like a self-limiting right. sort of prophecy. Yeah. Well, does it make a difference for you having the president of RPI be a woman of color? Does that kind of make a difference in how... Oh, yeah. A huge difference. My parents yeah. have been talking about her, you know, since I was a little kid. And I, I've seen her on campus and it sort of just makes you again, feel more, you feel more welcome. And that's maybe what I was trying to get at is like, it's not as if they barred me from entry, but you you feel self-conscious when you're the only one. So it's a little bit harder to walk through that door. And it's not just on the women's side saying, oh, like you're too shy to go in there. It's literally like, how many of the, how many of the people who attended like purposely invited female friends or colleagues or whatever that they knew? And I don't know if it's like that they just didn't think of it or whatever, but now more and more I'm seeing my friends, my guy friends send me links and say like, here's an event that's happening. It's really right up your alley or here's something that's going on. And that is helping me so much because it makes me feel like there are people in that room who want me there too. And so it's a warmer environment. It's more welcoming. And that just creates, it just lowers another barrier and makes you more likely to sort of like grow and share. So I think it's, it's slowly happening. I think like people's personal relationships are shifting and the conversation is really helpful for that. But it's still... Like I'm going to a conference in San Francisco in a few weeks and I'm a little nervous and I'm starting to just contact the people, like starting to contact people and say, hey, I'm going to be in the room and just sort of to warm the room to your presence to make sure that it's like, you know what I'm saying? So that yeah, like I when, do you, know. I know right, exactly when you get there, what you're saying so it isn't like hitting a wall. Exactly. When you yeah. It's just like, oh, hi, Marcia. There. How are yes, you? That, right. that goes a long way. Yeah. So I'm hoping, you know, I'm, I'm very optimistic. So does modern technology help with this project that you have? You know, this idea, like you can contact people ahead or you can smooth the way or you can recruit people in a way that you maybe couldn't before. I think RPI used to be almost exclusively white male. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. um, I started by approaching the groups on on campus, like the Black Grad Student Association mm -hmm. and the... um, 
NSB, which is like the National Society for Black Engineers. And so they've been, you know, there's a lot to do with word of mouth because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just, I'm a random master's student who has this like passion, but attendees might not know me that well and think like, who's this person trying to get me to come to this thing? Like, what is this? But when you have a personal connection, it's a little bit easier to say, oh yeah, my friend Marcia or this, you know, she's doing this thing. You should come. So I feel like, yes, like there's word of mouth and, and relationships and connections are very helpful. And I'll be using the tech side soon. I actually went and scoped out the the new space. Um, it's going to be at Ignite You in the Quackenbush building on Broadway in Troy. And what is Ignite You? Ignite You is um, it's like an accelerator. It's like an innovation, or I should say, entrepreneur accelerator program. And they have a space inside of uh, the Center of Gravity building downtown oh, Troy. I you know the where that is, yeah. yeah <laughs> going, okay, now when I say that, Holly, is yeah, it? Yeah, 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 she's great. Um, so yeah, it's in the it's in the center of gravity building, and so in long story short, I was talking to a videographer there, and he was saying, "Why don't you come and do your pitch for your event, and I'll videotape it, and then you can put it online." Oh, and I was like, "My mind is blown. I should have thought of that a long time ago. Like, obviously, I should do a video because millennials love there. video. Yeah. <laughs> People will be able to just watch it for a minute in twenty seconds, yeah. and then be like, yeah, 'Yeah, I'm going to go to that.' Right? You know, it's just easier. It's like a, it's like you said, it's a more fluid medium to get people's attention." So if it all goes as you plan, when is it happening? We now know where it's happening and how many people would be there and, and what what would you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's happening on Saturday, April 7th. Okay. And so like I said, it's going to be in the Center of Gravity building in the Ignite You space. And so it's going to start with, you know, just welcome and breakfast and people registering or what have you, maybe a little icebreaker. And then I have uh, Danielle Kayembe, who is a dear friend of mine, but she's also been doing... Um, a lot of amazing interviews on CNBC and writing for Forbes and talking about this very issue, which is, um, you know, women-led product development and how that's changing the game and that, like, the female-led economy, given that women are by and large becoming more the breadwinners in America. And so how that's shaping funding and entrepreneurship and what that means for, you know, us and what we're sort of being called in to do as women of color specifically. And then uh, we'll have maybe like a little bit of a break, maybe lunch. Then there'll be two sets of workshops. So at one o'clock, it'll be finding funding or perfecting your pitch. So, you know, maybe you've come up with a business plan and you've got like a little sort of informal pitch. You can talk to Esther Vargas, who is the head of um, an innovation accelerator within RPI as well. And she'll sort of give you some pointers about how to go up in front of investors and talk about what you're trying to do, how to pitch, basically. The other um, workshop that's happening concurrently will be finding funding. So ha- once you have this solidified business plan and you're ready to pitch, how do you find investors? Where do you where do you start? Because this is a huge issue in terms of the informal networks that women of color right. might not necessarily yeah. have. The networks are right. there. You can't Just like you said. Them. And then at two o'clock, it'll be drafting a founder's agreement. So that will be with Richard Honan, who has been doing a bunch of amazing workshops in the area anyway. He's um, an entrepreneur, uh, I should say, a startup lawyer. So he's really well versed at coming up with term sheets and coming and helping people draft a founder's agreement. So if you and your best friend came up with this amazing new medical technology idea and you're ready to commercialize it, you need to put some kind of draft or a document in place to protect you in case. You intellectual know. property yeah at your IP, so it doesn't get exactly taken, taken. Yeah. and at the same time as the founding um founders agreement talk is happening we'll have the corporate entrepreneurship talk which you know bears in mind that if you're thinking about drafting a founders agreement you're probably not going to be that sort of corporate entrepreneur so you can go to the corporate entrepreneur workshop and figure out 
you know, how do I find somebody in my company who's going to help me realize this dream of creating this product and who do I go to and how do I get people on board and, you know, what, how many, how many meetings should I have a week or, you know, all these different things that you don't really think about until you get in there. And then there'll be some networking and it'll be over by about, you know, three thirty or four. So you can <laughs> get your set. <laughs> I know you, I went to one recently and it was so long and it was a Saturday and I just felt like maybe this could be shorter. And so I feel like, Let's, you know, get people in there. Let's get them really motivated. This probably won't be the last one. It's just our first go. It's a concept. Well, it's the space. It sounds like what it is. Ignite. It sounds like you're there to ignite and the fire will keep burning after. Yeah. Well, if you look at your own life, I mean, most people that sit there, I have a pretty good idea of what the arc of their life will look like by the time we've talked for 20 minutes, but I have no idea. (laughs) Like when you think of your future, what, what do you see? There are just so many possibilities. Yeah. In my, in my heart, in my dreams, I see myself as a venture capitalist and I see myself focusing on um, opportunities in the artificial intelligence and machine learning space and with a dedication towards diversity and inclusion. So looking for those entrepreneurs of color and looking for those, um, you know, machine learning, AI, and also, our, um, um, let's say, I'm trying to say this out loud. Um, AR and VR. <laughs> what is that? Uh, so virtual reality and, and alternate rea- reality. Well, tell us a little about artificial intelligence, because that's certainly a buzzword we all hear a lot about, but I think most of us don't have a real sense of how it's already at work in our lives right. and what the future, which is going to be huge for right. it. Tell us just yeah, a Yeah, so what I've been learning so far is, is that there are huge amounts of data being collected about all of us and about everything that's happening now, which presents an amazing opportunity to try and extrapolate from that data or predict from that data different outcomes. So one case is that I'm working on right now is a boardroom that's artificial, uh, sort of AI-enabled, and it would help groups make decisions. So let's you know picture a room that has visual sensors and that has um, microphones, and it's taking in you know who comes into the room, and it's you know it sees that okay, hi, like Melissa's in the room, Marcia's in the room, Marcia is a student of entrepreneurship, Melissa's running a, uh, a newspaper, and there's a there's a couple there's already generating ideas about how they might interact with each other. The next step is they're here. The room is sort of listening to us and talking, and through natural language processing, which is just taking all of your words and figuring out the tone of the conversation or like what maybe the next predicting maybe the next word out of your mouth or figuring out um how does this whole (laughs) right (laughs) even when i text on my phone and it suggests the next word i always feel almost betrayed i almost feel like okay i'm not going to pick that word right because it just is so uncanny right have that to have the ability but when you think so then yeah this is perfect those even those two things so the visual sensors and the natural language processing those two things when you think logically about how a computer works is not that crazy it's just that it sees your face it knows the dimensions of, of you know, it sort of records the dimension of how far is your nose from the outer corner of your eye? What's the angle of the outer corner of your eye to the inner corner of your eye? And it will quickly go through you know millions of pictures and find your picture on the internet and say, oh, that's Melissa, right? And then it'll categorize you and do the same thing for me. So it's literally just using data that is stored somewhere and and sifting through all of it and matching. So pattern recognition. Then with the natural language processing, it's just saying, oh, okay. Here's several conversations from 1800 through 2018. Here's how this kind of conversation has gone 
X amount of times over this time period. So it's very likely that this conversation is going to go Y or Z, or Z way. So it's and just using then old data. with those tools, with that data that's been collected, what is, what's the goal? To move forward in the meeting? To have people Oh, better? yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So in this case, and the use case that I'm sort of studying right now is how do venture capitalists and investors make decisions about entrepreneurs to invest in? So if you've got like 50 entrepreneurs who come in in a month or let's say even a week because sometimes the volume is that high, you see their pitch, you see their body language, you see how their dynamic is between the two teammates, you get the financial data, and you know from millions of other deals before how, let's say, Mark Zuckerberg's pitch went and what his financials looked like and what's the likelihood that, you know, number 23 of this 50 this month is going to be, is going to mirror Mark Zuckerberg's and his success. So it's literally like trying to map success. Does any of that scare you? Like the human (laughs) intuition part is missing and it's a matter of sort of formula? Could it be possible you could have a Mark Zuckerberg that didn't fit into the pattern? Or is that not? Yeah, and I think that's a common fear and a common misconception of the public is that this has to exist independent of human interaction. It's the two enhance each other. Because without our data, I wouldn't really know what to do. And without like its precision... And on, and hopefully lack of bias, we wouldn't make you know we we might not so make the best you decision. see it as an aid to making a decision rather than the decision maker Absolutely. itself. Absolutely, yeah, it's going to okay. suggest just like you get your text and it's like, "Hi, sweetheart." Maybe it'll say, "How was your day?" <laughs> but you want to say like, "Where's my taco?" or whatever. Right. <laughs> so right. you yeah, get to I make see. the choice. Yeah. <laughs> but so your future in this field. If you had, you know, your dream lifetime, and I know your dream has changed so many times yeah. from the floor of Wall Street to being a, oh, a fashion model. We didn't touch on that. We should touch on that no. before our time's up. <laughs> you know, how did you get into modeling? Other uh, than being beautiful, thank what, you. what is the um, parameter there and what did that teach you? It seems I'm, like you're learning all the time. I am. I've always been tall. And, like since I was a little, since I was born, I think I was born like 24 inches long. Thanks, mom. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and so I've always just been tall and I felt like I got stared at a lot. And so I felt like maybe I should be making money off of this. Honestly, at like 14, I was like, maybe I should just make money from people staring at me because it happens so much. And then that was like but the first time I thought of it. did you feel the staring was a negative thing? Or weren't they well, staring because you were beautiful? Probably. But when you're like an awkward 14-year-old, you're just like, you're uncomfortable. But I figured I should probably, I want to get something out of this. They seem like they're getting something out of this, but I'm not getting anything out of this. So <laughs> being the little opportunist that I am, you know, within five years, I had tried out for a couple of modeling competitions and, you know, been told all kinds of interesting things. But then I got to New York and figured... I'm here. You know, I should just like really give it a go. And I got signed by a really good agency and then just started working. And what does the work consist of? I mean, how is that? I've never talked to him. (laughs) (laughs) One of my first jobs was like um, doing a lookbook for a company. So let's say, you know, you want to get like a really cool J. Crew. You know, you look through a catalog or what have you. Some companies don't have enough money to shoot a catalog, so they do a lookbook, which is what they send to editors for magazines and for different things. And it'll just be all of the looks, so all of the outfits. So it might be like 50 outfits. And it's easier to shoot on a moving, you know, body, and sometimes it looks sometimes it looks better on a long, skinny body. So they hire models to come in for a day, and you're just trying on all different kinds of outfits and getting photographed, and then they pay you. 
<laughs> so that's pretty much it. And then, or, you know, a runway show. But you seem to be a person who's so intellectual. Did you feel kind of starved from that aspect when you were doing this job? Or I was there... burnt out when yeah. I started it. Yeah. I was like, you know, like I said, I've been doing a lot of different highly technical things in childhood. And I was just tired of using my brain. So it gave you a rest. It gave me a rest. It gave me like a brain break was what I always call it. Because I needed to like, you know, I grew up awkward looking and like I didn't feel like I was attractive at all. So it was kind of like this this alternate reality where I got to be like the cool girl in high school and like, you know, be really beautiful and like, <laughs> so there's a children's story about that. If you've ever had the ugly duckling, yeah, the goose. And yeah, the right. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I experienced. Yeah. And it was great. It was great to show me that, you know, your physical appearance is not your only value. It can, you know, for some reason I like transported out of the, you know, heavens into this form because my parents look a certain way and this is the combination that I got. It's not because I'm like extra better special than anybody else, just this is what I look like and this happens to be attractive. So that's cool and I can exploit that, but I also happen to be smart. So I'm like, okay, cool. I can, I can sort of play around in these different areas and not have to be one thing. And my value comes from the combination of these things or how I feel about myself. So it was, it was great. I learned a lot. It was hard, you know, yeah. like sort well, of. You, you're somebody who seems extremely self-aware, which <laughs> is a rare quality. So as you project your future, because we're really almost out of time, <laughs> what does it look like? And are there any closing thoughts that you wanted to, I was going to read as a clothing thought. I'll, I'll just read this. This sure. is from um, Marcia's bio that appears on the RPI site. Her goal is to create a destination for women like herself, talented visionaries from diverse backgrounds, and provide them with the tools, connections, and opportunities they need to succeed. So I just think that's a great goal, but how do you see it playing out? How do you... Yeah, I mean, I think my next step after school is to... I've been talking about this with a couple of friends is to sort of get more information about what that audience really needs, not just what I think they need, but what they really need. You know, I'm basing some of my my project on Maslow's hierarchy, which is that there are functional and emotional, social and like self-actualization needs that every human being has. So this is like the pyramid that we learned in junior high, (laughs) the housing first and then you go up in the hierarchy and at the top is what? Self-actualization. Okay. Right. So like that finding your value within yourself as opposed to externally or whatever that looks like for you. And I believe that this community or, you know, this group of people has uh, needs that are not necessarily being met by the traditional ecosystem of the startup and entrepreneurship and funding and, you know, investments. And I want to, you know, verify, you know, what are those needs? Are people coming into meetings feeling like, you know, I'm sitting across the table from these two bros and like, maybe they're not going to really speak my language or understand what I'm saying or get my pitch or maybe they're worried about, you know, whether they're going to have enough money to start their company because doing a friends and family round, you know, at the functional level is not necessarily possible. don't succeed. There's no security blanket. There's no net. It's just like I either do this or I don't. It's a huge risk. It's a huge risk. And the payoff could be great. You know, there's also survivor's guilt. So like if I am successful, how does that make me feel within my community and outside of it? And is, my, is it my responsibility to like do something with what I get? So there's all of these other you know things that are happening for women of color that not, i don't know it's if they're necessarily white happening male right you have to deal with right so i'm you're sure they're creating they ha- like a new not maslow's hierarchy it's <laughs> going to be mitchell's hierarchy where you have supports for women exactly to get to that self-actualization on right because everybody has insecurities i know my white guy friends have insecurities but i'm just really focused on 
my experience, what do I know? What are these women's experiences? How do we remove these barriers, you know, as gracefully and quickly as possible and get them into market? Well, great. We will end on that thought. And thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me.